Uh, Susanna, thanks very much for uh, joining us here today. I think um, just looking back over your career, super interesting in terms of where you've gone, the education, etc. that uh, you've gone on to uh, support your journey. But um, just in sort of starting, uh, I see that you obviously started your career at uh, Orica. Fast forward to today, your, your GM uh, of production uh, within BHP. Uh, you've uh, taken your career offshore, so uh, you've worked in Mongolia, New Zealand, Canada, and Spain, which I think uh, is pretty interesting and amazing. You've got a mining engineering degree, a geology degree, master's in MBA, which is pretty phenomenal on its own right. Um, so I guess, you know, a big question to sort of kick off is what drives you in your career and the decision-making process and going from one opportunity to another and also how the acquisition of knowledge has supported that? Okay, thanks, John. Uh, look, I would love to be able to tell you that, you know, I had this plan mapped out when I, <laughs> when I, when I started university and I really knew where I wanted to go and how I was going to go there and say that this was a planned and measured steps along the way. Um, unfortunately, you know, it, it's nothing quite as um, structured and exciting as that. Certainly for me, it's been grabbing opportunities as they've come along. So if we wind back to that very first opportunity, which was with Orica, um, in a way, I was very fortunate. I had a couple of different opportunities to select from. And the one that really floated my boat was the one that was going to leave me in the city. And that was with Orica. And, and I chose that because that was firstly going to be in the city rather than being based out at site. But it turned out to be a great first chance because it gave me a really big piece of variety in terms of different sites that I was working at, different areas that I was working in, and a really great team. Um, and, and it was really that first decision to get into explosives that everything else has kind of flowed from. So that's uh, getting those exposures to different people and then creating some of those networks, not in a in a forced way, but um as a new opportunity has come come along, it's often been through those networks saying, hey, look, why don't you come and do this or why don't you come and try that? So um, if I look now back onto what was it about that, you know, there's certainly things around variety and adventure and, and challenge that have certainly been behind that. So um, that's really been what's been the driver behind my career, if I think, from – from moving to Orica and making that choice to to go into BHP, that was probably I was looking at an opportunity to move to Africa or come back to Australia from New Zealand, and that one was really around. Oh, you know, it's, it's probably an opportunity to go and see what it looks like from a different side of um, of the fence rather than the supply side, but being on the principal side. And then the move up to Singapore was was something similar. I'd had this really deep experience in technical knowledge around explosives, and they said, hey, you know. We're setting up this hub, this procurement thing, and I didn't even know what procurement was. You know, <laughs> do, you, do, you, do you want to go to Singapore and um, buy explosives for Rio around the world? Oh, fantastic, absolutely. Um, so we spent a bit of time in Singapore and leaving Singapore after three years, which for us at the time was enough, and we had a, a six-month-old at the time, and so the opportunities were, you know, what about Conakry um, in Guinea or Mongolia was the other opportunity. So initially we were thinking, well, you know, we haven't done Africa, let's go to Conakry. Um, but I went over there for what we call the look-see, only to arrive there and, you know, be taken to a place with no running water and and a number of other things. And, and I think, you know, a logical head prevailed. And I said, <laughs> I, you know, I, I've got a six-month-old baby. There's significant <laughs> malaria. They've just come out of civil war. This may not be the best opportunity. We'll, 
well, let's go to Mongolia. <laughs> um, so, so, look, I, I must say we were sort of the adventure seekers, um, but, yeah, probably Conakry at that point in time, and more because of family circumstances. Um, if that hadn't have been for Josh, I think we probably would have chosen Conakry. Um, we ended up in Mongolia. What an amazing experience and opportunity to go and see something completely different and work into those cultures. Um, and then, you know, while I was there, I was managing an explosives agreement as well. And and they said, hey, you know, are you interested in Spain? And I was like, yeah, you know, that that's great. But they took a bit of time and I said, look, you know, I signed up to a different job over in Canada. And they said, I said, look, call me in t- two years' time. And sure enough, after my two years were up in Canada running a transformation project there, I got the call and they said, well, what about now? And I was like, oh, absolutely. You know, we're, we're sick of cold weather. We were living in Saskatoon, which was, <laughs> which was Mongolia with infrastructure, and um, we were chasing a bit of sunshine. And, you know, I've always loved that explosives piece, and I, I really enjoyed that. Um, so we went and spent two years in, in Spain. But, you know, really it's been opportunity. The drivers behind it has been around opportunities that have come and just taking those opportunities as they're presented um, and, you know, really grasping it with both hands and saying, hey, let's do this and let's go and find out. And, you know, you sort of talk about the um, the education as well, but the education has sort of evolved along the way, but it's really been using transferable skills, so the skills that I've developed through these different roles that's been able to help me to be successful in the next role. Now, I think a uh, fantastic answer, and, and uh, this is said somewhat tongue-in-cheek, and, and maybe this sort of ties into a question we'll ask later, but one of the, the benefits of working within the mining industry, it's a, it's a global industry, and, and essentially you've had one hell of a working holiday, obviously that's tongue-in-cheek, mm. uh, and this adventure uh, whilst also building your career at the same time. So I think that's uh, one of the remarkable things about mining. It really is a sort of global industry, which is uh, fantastic. And, and on the, the knowledge piece, is, is that – born out of some sort of deep desire to sort of reach your potential or acquire knowledge to be your best or what drives that because arguably you've done more than your peer group um what's your sort of response to that probably i find that i'm constantly curious so mm-hmm. you know why did i do not just mining engineering but why did i do geology well i actually did geology was the initial plan and then it was like well i can do mining and engineering at the same time so why not you know how exciting, let's do both. And I, well, honestly, since it was actually in geology and I always thought I'd end up in the geology path. Um, so so that, that was why I did the double degree um, at that time. When I was starting to look at doing the Masters of Engineering Management, it was, you know, I, I, get, I get bored and I get, un, you know, bored quite easily and I, I really <laughs> love learning things and, um, you know, thinking about things differently. And, and I had some spare time on my hands. I did the Masters degree before kids and probably before being much more senior roles as well. And it was really just that thirst for knowledge to sort of say, hey, what more can I learn and broaden out some different skill sets. And so that's why I did the um, the master's degree, for, you know, no real specific need other than the need to continue to feed, feed the brain yep. um, and continue to grow. And then the MBA was something similar, really. It was this, you know, I, I've... I've still got this yearning to learn, to engage. To, um, I'm, I'm very big on collaboration and and being a part of organisations, and and that's what I was really seeking from that NBA to sort of learn from others across different industries. You know, what can we bring from different industries and and bring into the mining industry, and how do we think about these challenges that we're faced with that probably aren't that unique in and of their own right? And and so that's why I got started on the NBA and then um, continued on that journey. I, I 
you know, I'm a bit of a closet lawyer, so I keep thinking, oh, you know, I wouldn't mind doing a law degree at some time. But I think <laughs> there comes a point in time when you've probably got to stop saying, you know, more paper and, um, you know, find something different. So I haven't quite worked out what that different learning is going to be yet. No, I think that's often uh, some of the podcasts we do, often uh, a bit of a common theme. I think that's uh, curiosity and, and just being inquisitive, you know, and, and trying to learn more and understand more. And obviously that's uh, pretty pivotal in terms of escalating your career. So I think that's uh, an innate trait in a lot of people that uh, achieve great success. So good to hear that that's common uh, with you as well. But um, maybe we, we touched on it a, t- a little bit earlier. You know, take us back, you're, you're, you're a graduate. Um, and you've got options. You, you mentioned you were lucky enough to have options. I don't know if it was luck. It was probably hard work and, and good grades and, and, and that sort of thing. But, you know, at the time of graduation, what was your vision of what you might do or, or was there anything sort of clear at that point in time? Uh, look, when I graduated, it was at the bottom of the cycle. So, and I come from South Australia, so it's not traditionally known for its mining um, it's mining school, although we did have a very nice little mining school there. So so did I have this vision and this grand plan of where I was going to do? Not not really. I think one of the common themes that you'll find about me is I'm, I'm not um, structured in my own personal life, although I can be much more structured and strategic in a, in a work sense. Mm-hmm. And, and so, no, there certainly wasn't a, this is the grand vision. Beyond that, hey, what's different, what's exciting, and what do I think is going to be um, of appeal and interest? Um, so... The, the big thing for me was variety at that stage, mm-hmm. that um, having to go to the same place day in and day out, that was really going to be a challenge for me, I felt, um, but having lots of variety, lots of um, different opportunities to do different things, that was the thing, that was the real clincher for me in terms of making that selection around where I was going to be. Um, the other two roles that I was looking at or had been offered were both site-based roles in a specific role, and um, whilst I've I've got an engineering degree. I don't necessarily call myself a true engineer. It's you know that really technical type engineering is probably not my my strength. Mine's much more around the people and the collaboration and and those kinds of areas. So it was about fitting that that personal value set and fit what resonated well with me um, versus what options were available as well. Well, if we transcend, you know, some of those comments to uh, graduate numbers today, you mentioned you had a nice little mine engineering school down in South Australia. I was speaking to a, um, a faculty here the other day and they sort of talked about the viability, the future viability of uh, mine engineering faculties moving forward, given the diminishing numbers. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, don't quote me, but I think uh, in 2020, uh, 2022, there's somewhere in the vicinity of only like 50 uh, national graduates. Uh, 2012, it was, I think it was two or 300, you might know. I mean, what, what's your take on how we shift this trend? Because there's a lot of demand out there at the moment and likely to be moving forward for that uh, skill set and qualification. I mean, what's your sort of take on how we sort of reverse that trend? Mm, absolutely. And I mean, it's a significant issue that we've been grappling with as an industry for many years. Um, and especially the cyclical nature of the industry doesn't help in terms of, you know, the boom and bust type cycles that we go through where graduates can and can at times find really great jobs and often they can't. Certainly when I graduated, of my graduating class, there was about 20 of us and only two of us graduated and had jobs to go to. I think a number of those that I graduated with didn't have roles to go to. So certainly the um, industry dynamics has, has meant that, you know, in a ways we've ended up in the position that we're at 
as well. I do think there's an opportunity for us to rethink, you know, the specifics about what it is that we actually require. And certainly as I've travelled through my journey of learning and into senior management, you know, often some of those hard and fast rules that we've sort of said, you know, you've got to be a mining engineer to be able to do this or a, um, a mechanical engineer to be able to do that. I think we need to loosen some of those boundaries and really start to uh, to test, well, what is it, the fundamental skill sets that we need? You know, is it the curious mind? Is it the analytical mind, the problem-solving nature? Um, and start to open up our industry to others um, it, that, that fit some of those skill sets and think more diversely around how we solve some of the challenges that we're faced with. I, I think that's part of the answer in terms of not constraining um, what it is that we're looking for, and we're starting to see that as we go out to the markets and we start to rethink how we advertise and what we're actually looking for and recruiting for. So that, that's part of the puzzle in terms of increasing the supply, if you like. Um, and the demand piece as well is the other piece of that in terms of how do we get people to see that this is a, it can be an exciting industry. It can be something that provides these incredible opportunities for those that want it to live and work around the world, um, to live in some remote parts of Australia and things like that. And, and the, the richness of the lifestyle associated with the mining industry. I think we've got, you know, it, it's challenging times for us as we go through climate change and the world starts to reassess. I think um, certainly the organisation that I'm a part of where we talk about social value and some of those things and the contribution that we make to society more bright, broadly and how we do that in a sustainable, net positive way, th that's some of the, the messaging that we need to start to get out more loudly in terms of saying, look, you can be a part of this industry and still be responsible as we do it. Yeah, well, I think a couple of great sort of aspects of your answer there in so much as maybe modernising or making more practical what a de degree or, you know, engineer does. Uh, I think that's great. But I think also that last point around, you know, contributing to uh, a positive uh, narrative around the, uh, the sector, I think that's also very important as well. So I think um, two two aspects that no doubt will have a, a positive impact, hopefully in time, on those uh, graduate numbers and, and those sort of entering you know course of study that relates to mining. But I mean, we, we talked maybe at the time of graduation that you weren't clear, you didn't have this grand plan, you didn't have this grand vision. But as you look backwards from where you are today, have there been any sort of pivotal moments or decisions in your career that stand out? And, and maybe if there is. Uh, why you regard them to be pivotal? Yeah, look, and we're winding back quite a way. We're winding right back until um, probably 15, 16. And I grew up in country South Australia and I was um, the product of two school teachers and we came from a long line of school teachers and really the mining industry was nothing um, that was front and centre for me mm -hmm. in the, the family environment that I was a part of. And but at that time, I went on a student exchange to Columbia, and and that was a real turning point. Not only was that the first time that I was on a plane, but it was the first time that I ended up in a developing country and had this entire world open up to me. And that was the real pivotal moment in terms of saying, hey, look, I need a career that can leverage my strengths in in STEM, as we call it these days, but also feed that that um, opportunity to travel and explore and contribute in a positive way to to the developing world and and things like that. So so if I look back about well what was that that tipping point that sort of said hey there's a much bigger world than you know small town Mount Gambia South Australia um, that was absolutely one of it. 
as I go through my career, there's, there's certainly been um, individuals that have come along the way that have sort of opened my mind to different perspectives, different learnings. And, and they've been, you know, everything from shot firers on the bench through to the senior leaders um, and different people that I've met along the way in terms of my teams or, or broader teams that have sort of started to say, you know, let, let's think about this differently or do something differently. So from a career perspective, there's no one pivotal moment, but it's certainly been individuals that have sort of started to shape and make me think more broadly around what is it all and what matters to me. And therefore, given that, how do I make sure that I end up doing roles or or um, work with organisations that resonate with me as well? So. Now, I think uh, certainly the uh, trip to Columbia is obviously a pretty pivotal one by the sounds of it, but what I'm picking up is you generally have open eyes and open mind about how, you know, you can uh, shape your career and, and, and all that, rather than just being fixed in a view or, or a scenario, you sort of always got your eyes and, and mind open to what could come next, but uh, obviously a pretty mature outlook at 15 or 16 going over there to, to Columbia and sort of seeing a different world, slightly different to Mount Gambier, as you said. So uh, it's uh, it's good to sort of hear the benefits of getting out and, and experiencing new locations and environments and, and all the rest, whether it's in the work context or, or travel in general or cultural in general. So obviously you've seen a lot. But uh, again, you know, this next question is around uh, transition and uh, typically uh, it's a difficult transition from being a domain expert to then transitioning into being a leader of groups of people. I mean, any tips that you can share around how to successfully sort of navigate that transition? I think those elements that we've we've spoken about um, today really are pivotal in that in terms of, you know, that we can develop technical expertise. So we can teach skills, develop technical expertise. But what we challenge, uh, we're really challenged with is that sense of curiosity and, and not just curiosity in terms of technical learning, but curiosity about others mm-hmm. um, and seeking to understand the perspective that they're coming from um, and always challenging this when people aren't responding in a way that you would expect that, you know, well, why is it that they're not responding um, in a way that I expected? And I think as you transition from technical expertise where, it, you know, it, it's very easy to talk to a computer and say, look, this is what you need to do or do designs. Um, you know, for me, it was a lot of blast designs about what my expectations of how it's going to be, how the blast is going to perform and, you know, and calibrate the model and things like that and come back. Um, when you're working with people, you don't have that same opportunity. So you've got to be able to self-calibrate and self-reflect. So in terms of making that transition from technical to roles to leadership roles, the, the biggest learnings for me along the way have been to to manage myself in terms of reflection on engagements, um, seeking to understand, listening intently and really listening when people are talking to you and engaging and, and trying to really understand what it is that they're saying and and why they're saying that and what's the drivers behind some of those things. Um, And those are the real skills that people need to develop around that Um, ability to to converse with anybody and rapport and those kinds of of strengths as well as um, really pivotal as well. So not being too proud to sort of roll up your sleeves and and get in there. And, you know, I I remember my husband now telling me at the time, you know, you've spent five years at uni to carry around buckets of gravel which is what I effectively did for the first couple of years <laughs> as a graduate, filling up blast holes. But from my perspective, you know, I, I was there anyway as the engineer and I could stand around on the bench and say, do this, do that, or I could just get in and, and learn so much more by getting in with the guys and really understanding what it is and what the challenge was that they were facing. 
So it, it's some of those things that we just do that really help us to then be able to start to bring others along. And I, you know, there's the old saying of walk a thousand miles in someone else's shoes, and it, and it really does pay dividends in the long long term, long run. Now, I love that uh, technical intellect being complemented by, I guess, that EQ uh, to sort of support the the interaction with people and, and understanding and getting the most out of them and, and yeah, effectively being able to communicate and interact with them. But on that EQ point, has that been uh, a journey of self-discovery and self-paced and reflection, like you say, on your part? Or have you sort of shaped that with courses, tuition, et cetera, to help better understand that uh, you know, emotional intelligence and those sorts of things? I think it, it's been a combination of both. I think, you know, by default as we all go through life and we have our own challenges and reflections and we get more mature and we, we start to learn to manage our emotions and our responses, um, you know, there, there's absolutely a personal growth perspective in that. Um, where I say the education piece has had a contributor as part of my MBA, MBA just by virtue of uh, the, the travelling internationally, I was went down a path of doing a change management one and I came across a lot of um, organisational design and um, psychology within that, which really resonated with me in terms of understanding how the mind works and how people work and how people respond. And um, so it was putting into practice some of those elements as well and and reflecting on that and having conversations about that. So it's been very much a balance in terms of, you know, understanding some of the the models that sit behind some of these things, but also then reflecting on, well, how have I responded and what have I learnt along the way? So certainly a balance. Um, can you do one without the other, potentially? Uh, I think that the journey is much faster if you start to, you know, listen to some of those podcasts. Podcasts like this, I know that you've um, had one of my favourite school teachers on talking about growth mindset that my son also benefits from at his school. Yeah. Uh, but taking the time to learn from some of those things and reflect on that and sort of um, reflect on it not from a parent-child or a child learning, but, you know, how does that impact me in my day-to-day life and things like that? How am I responding? How am I behaving? And then, of course, respectful behaviours is a, an area that we're really talking a lot about now in the industry, the mining industry specifically, and, you know, well, what does that look like and how does that present and, you know, how can I be a part of the journey forward and recognising that it is a journey? So, you know, th- those are all parts of um, developing your EQ and, and also feeds your leadership style and your ability to bring teams along. No, fantastic answer. I think that's a great one. So, I mean, we sort of went there a little bit earlier in terms of pivotal moments in your career and you also alluded to learning from anyone from shot fires on the bench, et cetera, et cetera. But, I mean, have you utilised a mentor or um, uh, respected anyone greatly and sought to sort of replicate some of their attributes or approaches to work or people and and sort of growing your own sort of skill set? There's a couple that I could certainly call out in terms of saying, look, these are people that even to today I reflect back on the time that I either worked with them or engaged with them. And and certainly um, very early on I had a – a manager of mine, a guy by the name of Alan Pine, and you know, and he was fabulous in sort of setting the expectations around work ethic and standards. And you know, I, I was working for Orica at the time, so of course, um, presenting quality work from a supplier perspective was very, very important. So, and he was a great mentor around the importance of that and the, the quality of that. Um, as I progressed further, you know, I had lots of different leadership styles as I was a young graduate um, coming into those more. Um, 
early graduate, you know, early engineer years. Um, and, and I had the opportunity to reflect and contrast on some of those different leadership styles. Um, but there was one gentleman who, who always stood out to me, and his name was Cam Halfpenny. And he was completely different to the other general managers and, and mine managers that I was dealing with at the time, who probably in today's language would call much more of that dictatorial, you know, I'll, I'll tell you what to do and a very old school model. Yet he was having so much more success. And I knew for myself too, I, I also enjoyed engaging with him a whole lot more. It was much more of an empathetic relationship. He, he was very humble. He was um, he was very calm in his tones and things like that. And and he was one that I really started to reflect on and model some of my behaviours on or, or start to think about, well, what is it about him that makes him so successful in bringing along teams um, and starting to look and learn and think more deeply around that. And then I guess as you develop that level of awareness about differences, you start to see, well, where's the strengths and the weaknesses of different styles and, and when do I flex one style versus another style? So I think it's very hard and, and I know from, you know, many, many years ago as a as an early teenager, if you try to fundamentally change some of the things of who you are, that, that's an, an incredibly challenging thing to do. Mm. But if you can dial up and dial down um, the strengths of the attributes that you bring to sit the situation, um, that was what Cam did very well and that was certainly the piece that I took away from him about how to be able to do that. And, and there's been others along that way, of course. Um, I had a – she was actually a um, an admin assistant of mine. And, you know, and, you know, I was probably reasonably ambitious at the time. And, hmm. you know, I thought that everybody had to be on this path of, you know, wanting to achieve and, you know, this drive forward. And she really opened my eyes to, you know, the, the balance of having a balanced team about those that are really ambitious and driven and those that are – are there to be able to make sure that we can actually get things done and and how valuable having a balance of team of and the drivers and the doers um, and was as a part of that journey as well. So, you know, um, some of the shot fires too about, you know, recognising that not everybody also in that same ilk, not everybody is there to, you know, want to have this incredibly inspirational career. Some people really, you know, are motivated by, what the paycheck allows me to do, and that's to be with my family and, and focus on my hobbies. So finding that balance along the way. So there's a number of people along the way that have helped me to open my eyes to, to some of those differences. Now, well, I think you're very astute and insightful and reflecting back on that and obviously picking up different things, but also being flexible enough and fluid enough to utilise some approaches when it warrants it and then also you know, m- maybe leverage other ones uh, at the same time. So I think... Uh, You've been very uh, observant in that regard, and obviously that served you well, which is um, which is good. But um, maybe this next question is is one for me as much as it is for anyone else that's uh, you know juggling that uh, ambition and drive within a professional context, but then also trying to manage some sort of form of, of harmony, um, not balance, but harmony on on the home front. Your your parent as well as obviously someone who's uh, very successful in their career. So any tips or insights you can pass on in that regard. Yeah, no, look, it, 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 it's really challenging. It's I, I certainly don't know that I've um, mastered this one. <laughs> and and I think, you know, children, unfortunately, are masters at making you feel guilty. <laughs> Absolutely. I've got a couple yeah. just like that. Yeah, yeah. And, and look, you know, I don't think it's easy for anybody. I think um, 
for women in particular, there's probably some societal norms that we put additional pressure on ourselves about um, living up to these expectations of what society has around how a, a mother should present both at home and in the workplace. And, you know, certainly we, we understand very clearly the, the challenges for women in non-traditional work environments, but that equally plays out in um, for non-traditional women such as myself, my husband's an at-home dad with our two children. Um, you know, so that presents some different challenges in terms of um, engagement and some of those guilt and things like that. So I think the thing that I really have learned along the way is to be able to, you know, accept that it is what it is and it's different and um, we've made decisions for our family and our situation that work for us um, and to just let some of that that guilt that sort of always festers away in the background to, to pass through and pass by um, and try not to dwell on that too much and, and recognise you know, that you're doing the best you can in the moment that you're at. Um, but the other really important piece is also making sure I, I often find that I slide to the bottom of the pile in terms of priorities when it comes to, you know, family and work and, um, and all of those other things and making sure that I also bring myself back up to the top every now and again and, and take a little bit of time out to recharge and just how important getting some of that personal recharge and, you know, it might only be an hour or two a month, but making sure that it's dedicated, you know, me time for recharging. So that certainly, you know, helps with our family harmony. And, and it's funny, the kids bit where, you know, I've got a five-year-old and who, well, I've got two children. I've got Josh and Charlie, but the five-year-old's the high needs at the moment of, you know, mama, 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 I need you, I need you, I need you. And it's, you know, and, and you know, and she, I play into that. I'm like, you know, I couldn't possibly leave poor little Charlie. She couldn't cope without mama. But you know what? She actually copes quite well. You know, mum, mum goes out for a run and gets a bit of me time. Um, it's surprising how, you know, her toys can fill the void for that half hour that I thought that, no, absolutely couldn't be filled. So just keeping that, a reality check on that is pretty important. Absolutely. No, I think you made some fantastic points. And I think um, as a father of a daughter, uh, I think moving forward, some of those uh, social norms are changing and evolving and modernising, mm. which is great. That wasn't necessarily the case, you know, 10, 10 15, 20, 30 years ago, it was very, very different. So I, I love how those uh, norms, social norms are changing, which is great. Um, but yeah, it, it's funny you sort of mentioned that um, putting yourself at the top of the pile and, and I listen, and it's timely, I listened to a podcast this morning. And this person is successful in business and all the rest of it, but his philosophy was, I've got to be selfish in so much as making time for myself, mm. health, um, you know, recovery and all the rest, because if I do that, then I'm going to be a better parent, I'm going to be better in business and all that sort of stuff. So I think that uh, sometimes it seems contradictory or, or a little self-driven, but the irony is uh, you're a big part of your work context and obviously a big part of your home context. And if you're in a good, healthy, mental and physical state, then you're going to be a better better parent and a better executive and what you do so i think that's a it's a great insight on your part um and 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 removal of guilt not being guilty about that because you know that you're going to be better for that if you concentrate on that so i think that's a that's a good insight but um i, I want to sort of ask you i'm always inquisitive around successful people you know what habits or rituals do you have to get the most out of every day and i know that you said you're somewhat more structured in a work context maybe than a home context but you know is there anything that you sort of leverage uh, on a daily basis to get the most out of every day yeah look there's a couple of things that i always make sure that i try to make time for or do make time for and one is uh, 
you know, the very early Queensland mornings, I have the benefit of being up at 4.30. So, yep. uh, it, you know, and, and getting that exercise first thing in the morning. So making sure that I get out for whether it be a walk or a run or something like that to just see the sunrise and start the day afresh. And it, and it just brings me back almost in a meditation state, if you like. So it's pretty important for me to be able to see the sunrise and um, and just sort of refresh and reset for the day and, and start a new day. Um, and, and that's in that psychological well-being space in terms of just saying, you know, a sense of calmness, a sense of um, things like that. And and that also, you know, you'll see birds with a bit of exercise as well. And then I, I absolutely try to make sure, sure I've got time before I rush out the door that I take the time to have a coffee or a hot chocolate, depending on your ilk, um, <laughs> with, with the small people as well and family. So having made sure that even if the day doesn't go as planned, um, I, I've removed some of that guilt that I was talking about earlier by making sure that I've had some deep connections with the kids and with my husband in the morning so that I can go into a day knowing that now I can be completely present on my work day. And from a work routine, the thing that I do like to do, I, I do like to get in early and I like to get in early so that I've got the clear space and head time to be able to set up my priorities for the day. So I am a bit of a a list writer in terms of structuring my, these are the things that I must do off do today. And there's only ever two or three things on that must do. Um, but that that's about importance of making sure that you've achieved something by the end of the day, that I've been able to tick off a list and that sense of satisfaction. And it's amazing how you do get this sense of satisfaction that, um, and especially in some of these roles where, you know, often you're not closing things out. There's often longed conversations, so the ability to be able to just close things out, so making sure that I've got a number of things on that to-do list that I know that I'm going to be able to close out and, and make sure that I can close each day with a sense of accomplishment as well. Um, so that, that's like pretty small rituals, but rituals that I habitually do. No, I think uh, both person and profession, I think really simple rituals. I, I love how you sort of set the platform for the day, getting up early, bit of ex- exercise, but I guess, you know, that quiet, quietness and stillness of the morning, it's almost an aspect of mindfulness. And obviously there's a lot of uh, publicity and, and evidence around the benefits of uh, mindfulness um, further to the exercise, which is great. Um, also setting aside a bit of time to be present and connect with your family in the morning before the day gets uh, crazy and then getting in nice and early creating that list, uh, creating some priorities around that list. But uh, I, like you, I think that endorphin hit uh, or the um, dopamine that sort of follows uh, that sense of satisfaction and completion of a task. I think uh, you know, it's, uh, it, it's good to know that we're moving forward and achieving things. So I think some uh, great simple insights in terms of the uh, uh, habits or rituals you've got, um, which is good. I want to go into a question now that I'm pretty passionate about and I'm sure you being a long-term member of the mining community uh, are also, but my personal view is there needs to be a much more balanced and informed view on the wider uh, upside, and I don't use that word lightly, of mining and, and what a world uh, and what communities might look that don't, uh, that doesn't mm. involve uh, mining might look like. I mean, what, what's your personal view um, on how we present the mining industry in a positive light? And my, my personal take is I think the appeal of the sector is diminishing, which is a shame um, for an industry that, that, that gives so much to society, community and uh, economies. Uh, what, what's your sort of personal take on how we promote this great sector uh, in a better light? I agree with you. I think that 
you know, the mining industry, the sector is often shone in a poor light about all the negative attributes associated with that. And I, and it's not necessarily coming from a balanced perspective for the vast majority of people that are making some of those views. Look, look I think realistically that where the world has been able to get to in terms of all the things that we enjoy, whether it be electricity, running water, you know, computers and things like that, we wouldn't be here without the mining industry. And and to sort of wind back and say, well, it, it, it's a terrible industry. It's, you know, those days have really gone and they've passed us by. And the, the benefits that the industry has brought for society broadly um, can't be understated at a, a more local level in terms of the contribution that the sector makes to people's livelihoods. It's one in seven jobs is related with the mining industry in Queensland alone. So it's a significant contributor to the economic sector. In economic performance of the um, sector of, of the state here as well and, and similar numbers in other large mining areas as well. Look, do we have a role to play in terms of saying we have to be much more conscious in the way that we go about the activities? And I think we always have been. Or certainly it's been an evolution and a growth. I think certainly my exposure to the optimisation, the continual improvement work that we've been doing around reducing our carbon footprint, re- reducing the harm that we have in, in the environments and creating a net positive benefit in the areas within which we operate, whether that be both from an environmental perspective but also within those communities. I don't know that we've done as good a job as selling that side of the story as what we could have done. And um, Certainly, I think that's something we've been traditionally very focused on in more recent years. Um, and, and by that, I mean the last 20, 30 years, and, it, and it's been a continual journey, as has many other sectors. Uh, but, but that's the piece of of the story that we haven't really sold and spoken about that as, as well as what we could have been. So, look, I'm a firm believer that we have a, a positive contribution to the communities um, and, and we need to work more at promoting what that looks like and providing a balanced approach. I think the piece that we're missing is saying, well, how do we tell that story in a way that people are able to hear that story and understand and also take the time to want to hear that story. I think you'll see a lot of advertising at the moment that starts to tell part of that story, but there's probably a ways to go around that as well um, in terms of you know the win-win scenario of the industry. Oh, I think you nailed it. I think uh, the storytelling uh, needs to be told more and better. And the reality is, you know, there's no planes, there's no Teslas, there's no iPhones without mining. And that's just the reality of the situation. Obviously, you touched on the economic benefits. I mean, some of those regional communities that depend hugely on on the mining sector in terms of the, the prosperity or opportunities for people in those communities uh, hang off that massively. So I think you nailed it. I think uh, it's a storytelling exercise and one that the wider industry needs to get them behind to reverse some of the stigma and reverse, you know, some of those trends around graduate numbers and those sorts of things. So I think uh, you've nailed that. So, and maybe just picking up on that a little uh, as we sort of near the end of the podcast, can I ask why you're personally so passionate about mining and perhaps why others should consider a career in mining? Look, from my own personal experience, you know, I've had an incredible career. I've had incredible opportunities to to live and work around the world, to engage with cultures and and have positive contributions in, you know, in places like Mongolia where the um, Oyotogo mine there has had such a positive contribution to the economic capability of that country as well. So, for me, I'm passionate about it because there's just so many opportunities and so many avenues, whether that be as an engineer, whether that be as somebody in finance, to be able to to find a place, to be able to find a career here. 
Um, and and it doesn't it really doesn't matter where you come from or what you know. I mean, like I said, I came from a, a small country town with with teachers, and yet I've been able to create this career in a in a sector that I'd never heard of prior to going into it. Um, so so that's what I love about it from my own personal perspective. That ability to just travel, move, do so much and, and contribute in a meaningful way. The other aspect that I really love about this industry is that we are so very focused on the social value aspects of what we can do. So that's both within our own workforce in terms of saying, you know, how can we make this such an inclusive, um, diverse and inclusive industry so that it's open to everybody and continuing to be open to more and more people from any walk of life. Um, so that that's a piece that's really important to me. But then also, how can we have a really positive contribution on on um, the broader society and society in general? And seeing you know the, our industry sort of taking a stand on some of these things that are um, particularly important to me, and whether that be around um, climate change, whether that be around diversity and inclusion, uh, about the gender balance in the workforces and those things. And I think that the industry is really exciting and making some really positive moves in that area and you know I'd, I'd really say this is where the future is in terms of where we're moving and it you know the, the sector is one thing which provides some some great opportunities but in terms of what we're doing within the sector to start to create change in society for the betterment of everybody that for me is my real passion and my real drive about why this industry is an industry that people should jump on board with and be a part of because i certainly do think that we're um we movers and shakers within that space. Now, I can hear the passion, so uh, it's great to hear in that regard. But um, I guess the last question I'd like to fire at you is uh, I think it's much easier looking back um, at times to sort of uh, glean some insights and and, uh, and those sorts of things. But, I mean, knowing what you know now, these, uh, you know, with the, the, the experience and, and the knowledge that you've picked up over time, uh, what advice would you pass on to that young graduate uh, coming out of South Australia um, if you had the opportunity to sort of write a letter or, or make a phone call to that young graduate? What would you pass on? Uh, when, when I meet with graduates, you know, the, the two pieces of advice that I'd give to them is, you know, just be a sponge. Just keep asking questions. Um, don't come out of school with the expectation that you know it all because we certainly don't have that expectation of our graduates. Um, so, take every opportunity to ask as many questions as possible and continue to learn, continue to be curious and make sure you're asking various questions of everybody in all, at all levels of the organisations, whether it's the, the the truck operators right through to you know, the senior executive level so that you continue to learn and grow and understand and, and make that journey to, um, you know, a, a really humble graduate really quick. So that, that's the, the first piece for the graduates about being that curious mindset. And the other part of that is equally as important is just take the challenges. So even though you might be fearful or scared or uncertain about what it might mean, you know, you can always go back. But I, I always ask myself, you know, what if I don't do it? And um, I don't think I've ever turned down a fantastic opportunity, obviously, to live around the world um, for fear of saying, oh, you know, um, you know, the what ifs. I think just... Just grab every opportunity and make the most of that opportunity when you're there and you'll you'll never look back and regret having taken that opportunity and that chance because there's always really positive learnings that come out of out of these experiences. So yeah, take absolutely take every opportunity that comes your way. 
I love the simplicity of that in so much as obviously being a sponge and learning really starts once you graduate. Um, uh, that's my belief. And don't be too proud perhaps to, to ask all those questions and, and lap up all that knowledge around you. And, and I guess that last point around, take on the opportunity, get out of your comfort zone uh, and don't have regrets uh, and perhaps don't say no to opportunity. So I think uh, some great insights as well. So look, uh, Susanna, really appreciate your time. You've given some fantastic insights and I think uh, those that listen to it will get a lot from it. So I really appreciate you taking time of your busy schedule to pass these on and take the time to join us here on the podcast today. Thanks, Sean. Appreciate it. Thank you.